Hello and welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week as we continue our series on the Christian family as a foundation for all of society. This week I'm going to talk to you about biblical masculinity. What does a true biblical man look like and act like? And how do they function in their role in the home and in the world? We hope this is a blessing to you. Have a great week. We're still worshiping. Amen. Um, The worship doesn't end when this music ends, but you all are able to worship by submitting yourself to the word of God. And I am privileged to worship by proclaiming the words of God. And so um, we're going to continue our worship service here. Um, I preached the first sermon in this series a couple weeks ago. And in that sermon, I share from Ephesians chapter five. I want to read that scripture to you. I don't have it on the screen, but if you want to turn to your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we're going to be in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Um, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, so um, if you're confused, that's... Um, so this is what Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in of Christ. So I'm going to stop there with that passage, but as I explained in, uh, in my last sermon on this, Paul then goes on and he speaks to wives and speaks to them as how they're to live in the household. And then he speaks to husbands and tells them how they're to live in the household. And then he speaks to children and how they're supposed to live in a household and to the fathers of how they're supposed to deal with their children. And then he speaks to uh, servants and masters, so workers and, and bosses. And uh, I think it's interesting and not accidental that as Paul tells us, uh, tells the Ephesian church and then tells us, thousand years later, um, when he tells us to walk wise in evil days, he immediately starts with the family. When we, how do we walk wisely in this world? How, how do we win the kingdom war? We're in a war. The kingdom of God is, is advancing against the kingdom of darkness. I think oftentimes we think of it the other way around, but Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Gates are defensive structures. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is advancing into the world of darkness. How does that war get fought? How do we walk wisely in the world in evil days? Paul immediately, when he's talking about evil days, he says, know what the will of the Lord is, and he immediately starts talking about the family structure. I don't think that's an accident. I believe that the family is the foundation for all of society. That as the family goes so goes the world. I think you would agree with me. We see many problems in our world today. We see many social ills. We see many uh, issues going on in the world. And I believe that at the root of all of those things was a breakdown in the family somewhere along the way. And so I think that if we are going to be kingdom warriors building our society, if we want to see the light win, which I think we can, my in, maybe your end times view doesn't think that we can win the war. 
I know, but Jesus comes back and wins it all in the end, right? I, I hold to a view that says we can do whatever we set our minds to today. It may get worse, it may get better. We don't know. But we have been called to do a job, and we want to see the kingdom of And so we're going to do that through ordering our households rightly. Ordering, and it starts with us. It starts with the individual. And then the, the, there's spheres of sovereignty. There's a doctrine in, in Christian theology called subsidiarity. It's a big word. You don't need to remember it. But basically what it means is the most influence and the most authority subsides in the smallest uh, unit. That the person most capable of constraining the evil in the world is the individual who wants to do the evil, right? That makes sense. It's easier for me to not kill someone than for a cop to stop me from killing someone. And that is a pretty brash example, but you get the idea. It starts with the individual. Then it moves out to the family. Then the community. Then the larger society, then the nation, then the world. And I think a lot of times we think, our, 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 you can hear in the way that politicians talk, the politicians seem to think it's, it's government up top that will fix all the problems down low. But the scriptural idea is, no, it's got to start in the core and work its way out. And that's why the family is so important. And so we're going to, uh, the next couple of sermons, I'm going to be looking at specific members of this family and discussing that. Okay, so today the subtitle you can see is The Shape of Masculinity. So can you guess who we're talking about this morning? (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Uh, No, Uh, we're going to be talking about the role of men. We're going to be talking about men in society and men at home. We're going to be talking about what has God said men are to be. Now, before all you ladies check out, I think you would probably want to know what kind of man... You're supposed to marry someday, young lady. What kind of men, mothers, are your sons supposed to be? What kind of men, wives, ought you try to help your husband to become if they're not already? We all are connected here, okay? Young men, this is you in the future. This is what you should be shooting for. And it's not my ideas. These are God's ideas. Older men, this is what you should be trying to cultivate in the younger men around you. Asher, if you're at home, this is you, buddy. Get in. Listen up. This is for all the young men and old men. This is for all of us. What is the shape of masculinity? We are told so many things about masculinity in the world. Toxic masculinity is probably, if you were to type in blank masculinity in a search engine on Google, probably the number one hit would be toxic because that's the way the world views masculinity. True biblical masculinity is a glorious thing. It's a good thing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'll just give you a disclaimer. I'm going to talk today about masculinity, and I'm going to talk next week about femininity. So it may sound like if you were to just hear today, you may think that I think men are all that they're the best. But I'm going to just say if you were to just if you were to miss this week and hear next week, you probably would think I would think I think women are the best thing that there ever was. Okay, see, because we're both created in God's image. Okay, and today. I'm going to share what God says about masculinity in His Word. Some principles. I'm going to give you five aspects of biblical masculinity. Five aspects. So we got five things. So, you know, depending on how long I ramble, we may be out here for a long time or a short time. I don't know. How fast can you listen? Um, So, the first thing that men are called to be, according to what the Creator of these men has said, 
is we are called to be lords of the earth. Men are lords of the earth. Man is created in the image of God to rule and subdue the earth for God. Where do we get this idea? Genesis 1, 26 through, 27, uh, through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, etc., etc. So mankind, broadly speaking, and men particularly also are called to rule over and subdue the earth that God has created. We are called to be lords of this earth. He created us as vice regents for the creator, Lord of all creation. He is the Lord of all, and we are the underlings that have real authority over this earth. And so there's an instinct there. And, and I want to just uh, clarify, some people might argue that this cre- this is what's often called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. This Some people might argue that this was uh, negated by the fall. But Jesus reiterates I, and, and gives a new mandate that I think reinstates this cultural mandate in Matthew 28 that we call the Great Commission. And he says, it says he came up and spoke to his disciples, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's given us a delegated authority to go and make disciples, to teach them to obey Jesus. So there's an instinct in masculinity to conquer the tree fort emphasis in little boys, to want to build and to go and explore. That's what the lords of the earth looks like in a young boy. It's the impulse in a, in a man is to create things, to go and to take control over the wilderness around us, to build things, to make structures, to build houses and cars, to make companies, to do the things, to take dominion over the creation. That's a good impulse. We as Christian people, I, I, we sang a new song this morning that you probably didn't know, and that's okay. The first song we sang, I chose it because it's straight out of Psalm 90. It says, Lord, you never change. The Lord, our lives are like grass that grows up and withers, but God remains the same forever. His word remains the same forever. His faithfulness is forever. So when God says men are supposed to conquer, and subdue the earth and rule it, that's toxic masculinity, right? That seems like, yeah, you're supposed to subdue things and, and rule over. But that's what God tells us, tells us to do, to take control of the creation. But he doesn't stop there. I think the second thing is important. It tempers the first. We're called to be lords of the earth. We're called to rule over and subdue the earth for God, not for ourselves. That's an important thing to remember. This is of a delegated authority given to us to do what God, to do God's work in his stead. But the second thing he calls us to be is husbandmen. That's a technical term. Husbandmen. Find it interesting well, the, the word husband. Anybody have any idea what the word husband, where that comes from? We got any animal farmers in here? No? Husband. Husbandmen is a term 
for one who cares for and tends and, and raises animals. It's a tender, caring role. Man is created to cultivate the persons and things within his realm so that they fulfill their potential within God's creation. Masculinity includes the, the impulse to, to rule and subdue, but then it also includes the role and task of cultivating and caring for and so that the things that are in our influence thrive. We see the, the lords of the earth impulse in the Vikings, right? Sailing across the sea to conquer and pillage and take all they want. But they were missing the second impulse, the husbandmen. They did not settle down and care for the people and take care of the people in the lands and the things that they had taken over. And that's why we see them as wicked. It is wicked to just subdue and destroy and take over. It's good to take authority so that you can make it better. That's what a man is to do. We take the authority that God has given us to make it better. Not to get what we can out of it. Not selfishly, but for the good of those that we are taking authority over. Genesis 2, God gives the command to Adam. He says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. See, he was told to rule over all the things of the earth, and he was told to cultivate and keep and care for this garden. It's not enough to just sit on the couch and say, I'm in charge around here, do what I say. But to get your hands dirty, caring for and cultivating those under your authority. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let you know those in the world that have authority lorded over them, the, the ones under them. But it will not be that way among you. In the kingdom of God, let the greatest among you be the servant of all. Masculinity has the impulse, and it's a good impulse, the impulse to conquer and rule. But the impulse has to be tied with the impulse to tend and care and to see the potential thrive of those that we have got influence over. We see this in, in Ephesians 5, um, the, the, the text that uh, this whole series is based on. He says, The husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own flesh. Love them as, so they might present them as without blemish and no spot or wrinkle in all their glory. It's a husband's job to tend and care for a wife, to see them grow in godliness, to see their children grow in faith. That is the, a role of the husband, care for and cultivate and keep and tend their household and their communities. I think oftentimes this one can get ignored. And I think it's the absence of this thought that leads most often to this toxic masculine. So men, let's Let's work hard at being husbandmen, caring and tending, and seeing the potential grow in those that are under our authority. Number three, the third thing that we are called to be as men in the Scriptures is saviors. Of course, we are not the ultimate Savior, but the ultimate man, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate Savior. And if we men are in His image, we are called to war sacrificially against evil and injustice until they are vain. That was Christ's calling, to war sacrificially. He warred against sin and death to the point of giving his own life for it. He warred sacrificially, and men are called to do this same thing. We see in Genesis 3, a text that points to this reality. After the fall, the Lord says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the head. The seed of the woman is referring to Christ, ultimately. We know that. 
that the seed of the woman, the man Jesus Christ, born of a, of a virgin woman, crushed the serpent's head, dealing a death blow to sin and death. But the seed of every other woman, every other man in this world is meant to fight against evil that we see in the world. This is another one that gets twisted by the fall. We fight. We think we just need to fight in general against whatever. Anybody that knows my son Gideon or has heard me talk about my son Gideon, he's a fighter. That boy lives up to his namesake. Gideon uh, in Hebrew means a slayer. And that is, I, I'm telling you, I can't go in my house uh, for more than five minutes without him just running up and just punching me as hard as he can. And, or like I laid down after dinner last night. And he came up. I lay down on the couch because I was tired and I had a full belly. And I was like, he just comes over and starts just jumping on, on my body and just wailing on me. And I'm like, just fighting him off. And he, he always wants, he always has a sword in his hand or a gun or a shield or something that's a weapon. And everything's a weapon in his mind. And he's going to, he is a dragon slayer. I see that impulse in my little boy. And that is the impulse of a savior is a dragon slayer now some might say no he's too aggressive you know if it, and i'll just say if i were to send him to public school he'd probably be put on redolin and he'd have to sit still and um because that's aggression and it's whatever but aggression in and of itself is not wrong aggression misdirected is wrong and hurtful but aggression towards injustice is right aggression towards evil is right and so i don't want to stamp out and smother that aggression in my little boy. It annoys me sometimes when I'm the one being beat up. But I want to direct it because it's an impulse that God's put in him. And it's an impulse that is part of what it means to be a man. And and he needs to be able to direct that aggression towards the injustice in the world because there is evil in the world. As Paul said, walk as wise because the days are evil. And men, real men, are not afraid to be aggressive towards that which is wrong. The world wants us men to be soft and quiet and pacifistic because then they get to do whatever they want. A wise man once said, all it takes for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. I call to the men, to the young boys, be a dragon slayer, be a savior who stands up aggressively to fight sacrificially for what is right and what is good. Now, it may not be with a wooden sword or a sword like Gideon does. We are not facing many physical battles in this world, praise the Lord. But we're facing real ones. They may not be physical, but they are no less real and no less important. And so we have to, as men, be willing to fight and war sacrificially and justice until they are vanquished. Number four, the flip side of the last one. These are kind of like two different coins. We have the lords of the earth, and we have the husbandman, we have the conqueror and the carer, then we have the savior and the sage. Number four is to be sage. What does that mean? We're supposed to be a, a seasoning that we put, herb? Uh, no. A sage is a wise person. We're called, men are created to be trained by mature men to gain skill and, and to take their place among wise men doing work that counts forever. Wisdom, biblical wisdom. I think sometimes when we say the word wisdom, we think of, um, sometimes I think of, uh, I've watched, I've read a lot of novels, seen a lot of like Lord of the Rings. I think of a wizard in a long robe or something who's got a long beard and he's 
He just knows lots of stuff. Wisdom is not about just knowing lots of stuff. Wisdom is, is rightly applied knowledge. But you have to have knowledge to be wise. You can't be empty-headed and be wise. But you can't just know it. But God has called us to not just be... God has called men to not just be warriors and to be caregivers or to be uh, dragon slayers. He's called us to be wise. To know what's right and what's wrong. To know how to live through life in a way that pleases to Him. That pleases Him. To know how to gain skill and insight. The book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters, is a, is a long um, discourse of a father to a son, pleading with the son to get wisdom, to listen to the instruction of his father, to hear and to learn, to know how to live in the world. Paul said at the beginning that we talked about, be wise and not unwise. How do you learn how to be wise? Does it just crop into your skull? You just get zapped with it like Solomon did. Solomon prayed and God made him the wisest man that ever lived, right? So that'll work for me. Maybe. Maybe. But the more sure way is by older men teaching younger men to be wise. And by younger men being open and receptive to hear it. That's the hard part. But part of what we as men are to be teaching is teaching the younger men how to be learner, How to seek wisdom. I'm going to read Proverbs 4. Solomon alludes to the importance of wisdom. He says, When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, that is wisdom, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. I think it's interesting. He says, the beginning of wisdom is get some wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is recognizing you need wisdom, right? I need to be wiser than I am. And that is something that a man is called to be wise. I, 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 uh, I notice patterns in myself, sadly, when I get up to talk, but I talk a lot about the Disney Channel, it seems, sometimes, when I'm talking about this particular subject. Has anybody ever watched the Disney Channel TV shows? Like, not like the Disney movies, or the Disney, like, Marvel or Star Wars, now that they, they own all the stories, um, but like the Disney Channel original TV shows, okay? Disney Channel original, yeah, alright. So, I don't know if it's just Disney or if it's a pattern everywhere else, but every dad in the Disney Channel original TV shows is a bumbling idiot. Every one of them. He's the biggest fool you've ever seen. Like, the kids are like, oh, dad, you're so dumb. Or they're, the, the, the kids are doing stuff, you know, behind the scenes, and they're trying to trick their dad, and they're just like, oh, I don't know what's going on. That is the opposite of what a man is to be. Don't be a fool. I, you, and you see it, it's not just Disney. I'm not going to pick on them only. But, you know, you see it in uh, commercials they used to show about, my husband is so stupid, he couldn't get himself out of the blinds this morning. <laughs> so I give him these muffins. Is this good for me? <sighs> Sadly, that's the way men are portrayed in the world today. So often. 
I'm gonna all the laughing aside for a second. Do you guys realize the demonic attack that that is? Like, it's silly, but what better way to undermine fathers and men and the image of God in men than to make them look like just a, a joke? Right? You can't respect what you don't what you think is just a joke. Men are called to be wise. You should uh, little boys should be able to look to their dad and say, I you know. My my little Asher, he <laughs> there's this ongoing thing when they're doing homeschool. They try and stump me. I'll come home and, and Asher will be like, "Hey, Dad, did you know this?" Because I usually do, and he's always amazed. Because I'm like, "Yeah, I did know that." And then the first time that I said, "No, I didn't know that," he goes, "How did you not know that?" I was like, "I've never read that much about armadillos, son." <laughs> it's like. Random armadillo fact, you know, but that's a good impulse for little boys to look at their dads and say, they know it. Men should be seeking to be not a know-it-all, but to be wise so that they, those around them know, I can go to them if I have a question about what's going on in my life. I can go to them if I'm confused about something because they're wise. We should want not out of pride, but out of being in the image of God. Being what God has called us to be. Fulfilling the role that God has put us to be in in our lives. That's not to say that women can't be wise and wonderful. But it's just to say the book of Proverbs is a father talking to his son. God made it that way. He said, men particularly, be wise. Get wisdom. Don't be the bumbling idiot on the Disney Channel. That's not who God's made us to be. Number five, final thing. Maybe the most important, and I think it wraps up all the others, um is men are called to be glory bearers. Glory bearers. Man is created to reflect God's glory in his own creaturely bearing roles and activities. Made for God and deriving his own masculinity from God, man relates to nature, women, and other men in ways characteristic of God's power, righteousness, grace, and love. Men are men and women are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, we read that already this morning. Man and woman, he created them in the image of God. First Corinthians eleven seven says, Man ought not to, sh- to have his head covered when praying and prophesying, since he is the image and glory of God. It says, But the woman is the glory of man. And we're not going to get into that today. We're going to get into that next week. But it says that man is the image and glory of God. And I think it's interesting that he actually separates the sexes in this one. What does that mean? That man... Mankind generally is in the image of God and in his, is his glory, but man specifically is the image and glory of God. We represent to the world around us, and this is another reason why the world seeks to make men bumbling idiots, weak and powerless uh, pacifists, silly, uh, spineless people, because men represent the Father God to the world. God is not a they. Unlike some of the progressive churches, God is not a she. God's our father. He doesn't have male anatomy, but he is a father. And a father reflects uniquely the glory of the father. And when we, as men, reflect these five aspects of God rightly, of masculinity rightly, when we are lords who care, we are saviors who are wise, we bear that image of God in a unique way that is glorious. We talked about this uh, yesterday morning at the men's breakfast. So if you're missing out on the men's breakfast, you're missing out. 
We're having, we're, we're not just shooting the breeze. We're having great, really great conversations and lots of bacon. Um, and uh, we were talking about what does it mean to be made in the image of God, to be a glory bearer. And I brought up that in first century world, and even in the in the um, Hebrew context of when the Old Testament was written, kings of local areas would set up images of themselves throughout the the place they ruled to remind their ruled people who the king was. We even see this some today in in like Soviet countries where they erect statues of linen and statues of of all these different people. We see kings would. Rulers would erect images of themselves all throughout to remind people, hey, this is the king right here. This is what he looks like. And I think we could even use the, the same, uh, the, the, a similar thing today would be, that we think of would be a flag. A flag represents the nation that it is about. Um, we don't care for our flag much today in our culture, sadly, but I was a Boy Scout. And I learned about how to care for the flag. If it touched the ground, you had to have a burning ceremony because that was disgraceful, the flag. It couldn't get dirty. There were rules about if it was storming out, you had to pull the flag down. There was all these rules about taking care for the flag because a piece of fabric is real important, right? No. It's because this flag represents that flag. I'm pointing over here, but there is a flag right there. It represents the country and we want to have respect for the country, so we have respect for the flag. And the images that these kings would re- erect, you respected the images, and we see it in the Bible. We see uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told to bow down to an image of the king and worship it, because they're supposed to worship the king, and so they're going to worship this image, and they say, no, we're not, we only worship the Lord. Do you know what the Hebrew God says about images? What images did he create? Did he put statues everywhere to remind us of who he is? Second commandment says, you shall not make any graven images and worship them. So he said, no, no flags or statues or images to represent me on this earth. Why? Because he already made them. He said he made man and woman in the image of God. We are the statue, the flags that represent God. We are representative of who he is. In the same way we wouldn't we shouldn't take the flag and run it through the mud, we shouldn't take ourselves and run ourselves through the mire and mud of the world and of, of wickedness because not because we are special or because uh, God just is a meanie and doesn't want us to have fun, but because we represent God. What is it Paul says? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Men, every action that you take represents God. Whether you want it to or not, whether you intend to or not, every action you take is representing God, and you're either doing it well or you're doing it. You're either representing God truthfully or you're lying about Him. When you are hateful, mistreat your children, you're lying to your children about how God is kind and loving. When you lie to your children or to your co-workers or your spouse or your friends or your family, you are lying about God because God only tells the truth. When you are unfaithful to your spouse, you are lying about God because you're saying God is unfaithful, just like me. God is always faithful. Every action that we take, no pressure, right? Every action that we take represents God. We should take that seriously for all of us, particularly as we think about today. We think about men in our society, men in our homes. As I go home today, 
and I interact with my wife and my children, I am the image of God to them. I want to represent him rightly because he is good. He's gracious, forgiving. He's, he's just. He's righteous. He tells the truth and he seeks what's right. And he sends a savior to defeat evil. And he cares for those in his authority. And he gives wisdom and instruction to tell us how to live our lives well. So we're going to close. And I want to um, just invite you. We're going to sing. I'm going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing um, a very special song to me. It's called The Heart of Worship. And um, the reason why I want to sing that song is this song is, you know, as I said at the beginning, we are worshiping right now. The music is not the worship. We're worshiping right now. We worship God by living out. He asks us. And so I encourage you, if you're not men, if you're not measuring up to these five aspects, own it. Here's the thing. None of us are perfect. If we were, Jesus would not have had to come. But we don't get anywhere by denying our shortcomings and ignoring them. What is it that John, the Apostle John says? If we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I encourage you today, if you're sinning by not living up to these things, I will boldly say, it is sin to not live according to what God has made us to be. There is forgiveness. If you if you say you're you're not sinning, you're deceiving yourself. But if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just. He's faithful. He will do it because He said He would. And it's just because He will forgive you because He's already punished Christ. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we sing this song, we're going to sing this song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. I just encourage you, if you're here today and you're, you're sinning against the Lord, you're falling short in these areas, ask for His forgiveness. If you have been wandering far and you're not even close, lay it down at the Lord. If you are, think you're doing fine, but you see other... Here's the thing for you men that, are, that you think you're doing good in these things. Look around. Find you another young man, a young boy who needs to learn these things. and Commit to the Lord today that you will seek to give wisdom. Be that sage that raises up the next generation. So let's, um, let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.